The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. My name's Jason Fleming, and this is the More Than My Past podcast from the Forward Trust. My guest for this episode is someone who had it incredibly tough in their childhood and did some terrible things as an adult before his own remarkable turnaround. Growing up, Lennox Rogers experienced physical and sexual abuse at home and racism in his local community. After being put into care and then groomed into gangs, he committed crimes including drug dealing, armed robbery and assault, doing time in a total of 16 prisons before successfully deciding to go straight. He's since become a motivational speaker, started an early years intervention charity called Refocus and documented his experiences in his fantastic book, Breaking Better, which is well worth checking out once you finish listening to this episode. I was on holiday with my wife for a week, in, well, five days in France, and I started reading the book thinking I'll just flick through it and then I'll have an idea about Lennox. And four days later, Ellie was like, why didn't you just go on bloody holiday with Lennox? <laughs> <laughs> so I, was, yeah. I was so absolutely That's... transfixed by that story and the tale, which hopefully we'll get into. I know part of your work is that you have to repeatedly talk about your past. But yeah. as you know, this podcast is called More Than My Past. And I just found that journey that you went on fascinating because... I have my own children and they have everything, you know, they're nine year old twins and they've grown up in a loving, loving family, loving relationship with every opportunity given to them. And I worry about them. And I just wanted you to maybe talk a little bit about those early years, just one more time, Lennox, just for the people who are listening, who haven't, who haven't heard your tale. I grew up in a big family. I'm the only son amongst seven girls. And when my parents brought me back to the UK, because I was born in the UK, and then I went over to St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And um, after I came back, a few years later, things became really difficult. My parents were very strict. The community I was in was very racist. There were still signs on the windows about no blacks and no Irish, no dogs, no Chinese. When I went to school every day, it was blacks against whites and uh someone would stand in the middle of the playground and shout blacks against whites. And then all the white kids would be one end and there'd just be like seven or eight of us the other end. Teachers would be in the windows watching and they would be betting. And it was really a scary experience to go through that Monday to Friday and then have gangs wait for you outside school. I was also um, sexually abused from a young age and raped at the age of 12. I um, was groomed to be in a gang um, at the age of 13 and uh, to be a pimp. And during my school years, I was kicked out of practically every school. I was put into care uh, at the age of 11 and I just went through the care system. Um, it was very difficult um, because there was a lot of racism in the classroom. So I found it much easier when I was in institutions and getting education there. There was like seven or eight of you in a class, sometimes less, and um, you had more help from the teacher. But uh, being in mainstream school was very difficult growing up. Plus, um, my parents, they beat me. So <laughs> I got beaten a lot 
um, every day. There was no relationship in my family where they wanted to know how your day was at school. It, it was a really difficult time. And I got help from my next door neighbours. I had um, English, Scottish, Irish neighbours who used to tell me, Lennox, you know, not everyone in this country is racist. It's just a minority. And they used to really encourage me and um, help me to not grow up with a chip on my shoulder. I always think personally that it's not the talent to do something. It's the knowledge you want to do it that's the gift, you know? You know, if you, from a very early age, for instance, we're talking to Tony Adams in a week or so, and if it, when I read his book, you know, from the age of nine, he knew he wanted to be a footballer, and he always had that, you know, and it pushed him and kept him straight. For me, it was the same with acting, and it's not the gift. The gift is not the talent. The gift is the, the desire to do one thing, and that came to you quite late and has, has kept you content and happy and, and, and focused, hasn't it? Yeah, it was difficult um, in my younger years to know what to do because um, I went through a lot of emotions. It was very difficult to know to sort of be a fireman or something mm -hmm. like that. And the only people that really wanted you were sort of like criminal gangs, yeah. um, you know, and that it was very difficult. It wasn't until... I got to an approved school that um, I wanted to join the army. Yeah. And sadly, um, I didn't get advised as well as I could have to have had that career. Yeah, but the only doors that were open for you was crime or the army. I mean, that's a depressing, a depressingly familiar thing, you know, for young black men growing up in the 70s, 60s and 70s and 80s. You know, it's like there's no icons. Like you said, there was, there was no place where you could aspire to be? It was difficult. I mean, I had input from some positive role models along the way, but it was not enough mm -hmm. to um, keep me on a straight and narrow because I was dealing with domestic violence. I was dealing with um, sexual abuse, rape and racism. And they were difficult to deal with whilst trying to have a life, trying to, you know, find out what career because... Um, when I tried to get somewhere to live, I looked in the newspaper, found um, a room that was being rented. And I, I, when I spoke on the phone, they said to me, yes, the room is still vacant. When I turned up, they said, oh, sorry, it's gone. It's just gone. <laughs> so I went back to the phone box and phoned again. And they said, yes, it's still there. <laughs> so it was very difficult uh, to deal with these things. And um a lot of the time, people say to you, you know, you can talk to us anytime, you call us anytime. And sometimes when you do that, it, it's not convenient. So you have to deal with a lot of things yourself. And for a young person growing up, having to deal with all those issues, plus the mental health side of things, it's, it's, it's really tough um, to have, you know, aspirations for a good career. Yeah, yeah. You're just talking about getting through the day not what you might be doing and if you're going to pay a pension or not. It's not exactly relevant. Yeah, and you've got to plan your route. Um, from my house to go anywhere, I had to plan how I was going to get there. It's not a case of thinking, oh, I'm going to take the number um, 10 bus. You have to think, right, I'm going to, I have to avoid this gang because in my area, there were gangs everywhere. You know, every sort of estate, every area had a gang. And you had to cross territories all the time to get anywhere you wanted to go. Otherwise, you get beaten up. 
You have to know um, the alleyways and everything like that. And it's it's kind of like when I was a criminal, you know, you want to avoid the police. You're driving a car that hasn't got any tax. You take all the back routes at night. <laughs> uh, it was a bit like that, but um, a lot more scarier because people was physically beating you up. And Lennox, if you don't mind me asking, and obviously don't talk about anything you don't want to talk about, but I think it was your uncle, Thomas Thomas Brown. For the listeners, that's the guy who sexually abused you when you were, it was at 11. Yeah, well, it was younger than 11. I, I got um, sexually abused when I was from the age of seven and I raped at the age of um, 12. And your um, your dealing with that is that come through, and with your mum as well to a degree of the beatings, has that come through forgiveness, Lennox? Is that because... Have you managed to do that or do you just have you just moved on and realised that none of that blame was yours? Or how have you dealt with that? Part of the process is forgiveness and unforgiveness is like carrying a massive heavy weight. And, you know, it's really hard when you can't forgive something and that, that abuse will haunt you. It will weigh you down. It will rear its head throughout different aspects of your life and it will influence how you live and some decisions you make it will restrict you from having meaningful relationships so for your own health that was part of the process I had to come to a place where I could forgive it mm-hmm. because when you forgive it it kind of disarms the the thing that keeps keeps it there. Yeah. It, there's no reason for it to stay there anymore because it stopped being a problem. Mm-hmm. And so um, it doesn't affect you in that way, but it's hard to get to that stage. Mm-hmm. And you have to offload a lot of other stuff, you, you know, and be shown reasons perhaps why you should forgive. You have to be able to let that stuff go. You you know, writing it all down and then sticking it in a metal bin and setting fire to it and saying goodbye to it. You know, you have to go through processes. You know, um, I do role play and some psychodrama with kids to help them heal as well. You know, so for me, forgiveness was um, a big part of it, um, of the process. But once I was able to let it go, I was able to live. I was able to have a life. Because all that abuse stopped me from having a life. And you you end up getting so angry, you will hurt people. You know, I I found it difficult to have meaningful relationships, you know. So I used to, if I got into an argument with my girlfriend, I'd think that's it, the relationship's finished. Mm -hmm. I had to relearn a lot of things. Um, It was hard because when I first got abused and raped, I, I couldn't bear for anyone to touch me. Any female to touch me, I couldn't bear it. You know, letting it all go allowed me. I've been married 14 years now. Lennox, just to, to moving moving um, from that point, talking about forgiveness, because obviously your abuse and mis- mistreatment when you were young led you down a path which involved you inflicting a lot of violence and a lot of pain on other people. I mean, physically, literally, through your gang membership and through your criminal activities. Now, I'm just wondering how that works, Lennox. What, when you've done something like that, does it haunt you that, or is there a way of diluting that memory of that too, or diluting the pain of those of that of the pain you've inflicted? Um, luckily for me, 
I've met some people, not all, who have been a victim of some of my violence and I've been able to apologise in some ways, but there are lots of others I haven't been able to. And yes, you're right, I have to forgive myself. Uh, what I had to do, uh, I had to imagine that these people that I've hurt were sat in front of me on the chair and I had to express to them just how sorry I was and asked for their forgiveness. I had to do that in part of the process of me healing, you know, and I had to be sincere. That was part of the deal that I was able to um, forgive others that had wronged me as well um, because I wanted these people to forgive me, but I knew that saying sorry wasn't enough and I knew that they may not so uh, it was very hard. And before I com got complete healing, I was haunted by some of these things. I found it difficult to watch certain violent films because they brought back memories. And I would get up and, uh, and walk out, and um, it was very difficult. But some of it didn't bother me because at the time I felt that they were wrong. I was a criminal. Uh, um, I did a lot of violence to other criminals. And so for some of those, it weren't such a problem. Yeah. But I was still sorry that I even got into the criminal life. But I also had to look at myself and think about my situation and how I was drawn into it. In some ways, it's predestined, isn't it? I mean, it's the more people I speak to... It's like you can be a strong person and you obviously are, you know, incredibly charismatic, lovable, strong man. But you almost it was almost choiceless. You know, that route from um, abuse through to becoming part of a gang, which is part of something to criminal activity, to probation, to prison and to, to addiction. I was orphaned because nobody wanted me. Not even my mum wanted me. Yeah. And there was nowhere to go. You know, I wasn't wanted because of the colour of my skin. I was rejected by my mum. The Grant family, Mummy um, G, they took me in, but they had their own family to look after as well. And that was extremely difficult. I mean, you know, I thanked them and I still see them to this day for, for helping me through some of those difficult times. But I spent a lot of time in a block of flats looking at the window, watching the world go around because... I didn't fit in anywhere. And when I was headhunted by these gangs, it made me feel wanted. I'm Tilly Steele. And I'm Helen Monk. And this is Bitchin'. I'm dyslexic. Yeah, why do you read the word you <laughs> in the face? It's good to practice. Yeah. A podcast where every week we talk about a different person. So how old was he when he first popped on the scene? That's a great If question. you say he was my age, I'm going <laughs> to fucking die. And we veer wildly off track. Pop that Prosec. <laughs> Available on all your podcast apps. <laughs> That's not my... Uh, Can you not say podcast. uh in the advert? <laughs> Available on all your podcast platforms. Just search Bitchin' or Great Big Owl. We'll see you there. That was all right. <laughs> there was a figure in your book, and it's, I'll quote it because I don't want to get it wrong, but there's a figure in the National Behaviour Review 
that puts the cost of a youth who misses school and then goes through the care system and into prison at £333,000 per kid. Now, I'm sure it's a lot more than that now. But the point being that the cost of that and the cost of, you know, the charity that you now run, Refocus, which tries to interrupt that inevitable process, there's a fiscal value to that that's blatantly clear to me and should be clear to most people, you know? Yes. Um, that's not really about love. That's just about money, you know? it's just, it, you know. Yeah, the, the, I mean... The interventions that we, we at Refocus like to do early intervention. And if you can intervene early enough, that young boy doesn't have to go back so far to heal. You can help them heal right there. I've got young people that are teachers now after having such interventions. One guy, he now with his friend buys sports cars and fixes them up and sells them. There are people who are doing building work and there are kids now who are starting college, you know, after the problems they had at school and at home. One girl whose parents was um, both drug addicts, she decided with early intervention that she wasn't going to allow her parents' lifestyle and the dysfunctionalness in her family to ruin her education. She ended up going to grammar school and then to uni, and she's doing really well. So it, it shows that the, the importance of, of, of that early intervention, if someone had intervened early enough in my life, I could have had a different life. And, and that's the thing. You know, rather than being an older person and have to repair the damage all the way along, you know, you get, you walk back down that road and you try and undo that damage. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago now. There was just a fraction of pain left. And I, I went to hospital and I had to have a tube in both ends. And... Oh, it was the most painful experience. I, I, um, I broke down because I thought I had put the past, um, some of the pains, almost in little packages in my mind and they, were, they weren't going to um, affect me anymore. But this experience showed me that um, it opened it up, opened up some of those packages and I just broke down. My wife was holding my head in my hand, in her hand. The um, nurse and the doctor were in tears. But the, the whole experience allowed me to confront that last piece of the puzzle of healing. And I was able to not even have it in my mind. They weren't in a package anymore. I was able to get rid of it. And so it helped me to be completely free. But I had thought before that, it was all gone. And, and you know, the help I had before that kind of made me strong enough to be able to do that. And now um, I can go through all sorts of experience. I can go to the dentist and not be traumatized like I was because the dentists in my youth, they used to kneel on my chest and pin me down and they didn't care about the pain. They would stick the needle in. They would drill your teeth and leave the work unfinished. I, my, my teeth were so bad that I got cysts in my mouth at a young age. I had to have all sorts of operations because of the abuse of dentists. 
Um, that's why in the book, when I had the prison dentist, I was petrified. Mm. But, and I was so petrified, I threatened the dentist. I told him, if you hurt me, I made him see me look at his instruments. I said, oh, I'll commit further offences. You actually say, in the book, you say, if you hurt me, you're not going to leave this room. <laughs> That's right. And do you know what? He was the best dentist I ever had <laughs> at the time. You know what? For, for, for someone listening to your story and reading your book, what's so moving and frustrating is that your abuse came from 360 degrees, you know? even You weren't even safe from the bloody dentist. That's right. When did it become okay for a dentist to be a reactionary racist pig? You know what I mean? But that's what uh, happened to you. And, and it just seems to happen at every corner you turned. You're similar age to me and we grew up, you know, we saw the riots in Brixton, we saw the murder of Mark Duggan. And now, you know, with George Floyd um, in Minneapolis, it feels yeah. like possibly, Lennox, and I'd like to know your opinion on this, it feels like possibly, I know it's only a moment in time, but it feels like possibly for the first time, it's not just going to be an appeasement for, for a period of time until the next thing happens. The way I, I see it is this, that it's quite possible that there will always be discrimination and racism. And I think that we must be careful not to assume that things are just like they were years ago. Lots of things has changed. You know, it doesn't help some people who are going through systemic racism or um, other types of racism, but I think we have to draw a line and let go of the past and look at how we can create a new and better future because racism is learned behavior and a lot of um, black people who I know have issues of some of the racism they suffered they're poisoning their kids and their kids are growing up now with um, racist views and I think we need to draw a line and, and try to teach our kids. I think we all have a responsibility because the best thing you can leave your child is a good example on how to be a decent human being. And I think that we all need to be teaching that. And um, the racism that we see in America and over here in England, I think we need to, I, I think if you look at things properly, not everyone in the country is racist. And I think we've come a long way. We've still got perhaps a long way to go to stamp it out completely, but that might be an uphill struggle. But what we can do in the meantime is for more and more education for people to, you know, not grow up with a chip on their shoulder that black people are just criminals and drug dealers and for black people to think that, well, not everyone is racist. You know, I think that... Um, through inter integration and education that we, we, we can take some further steps. But um, it's horrible to watch on social media, you know, some of the racism that people are suffering. I sit on a panel of stop and search that the police allow me to sit on the panel to see if the stop and search is carried out right. And um, I think that it's a minority compared to the amount of people in this country and perhaps the world that are causing the racism in various places that we see. I think they're a minority. I think most people, you know, are not like that. But 
you know, not to discredit anyone's experiences. I can't hold on to the past of when people were being racist to me. I have to let that go if I want and, and, and teach my son and my daughter that if you come up against it and how to deal with it, not to hold on to it and make it destroy your life because you'll end up with issues and you'll, you'll treat people bad because of how you were treated years ago. And I think we need to keep educating our children. Yeah. Don't pass on the crimes of the past to them. Let them learn about things through history and things like that. But I think we need to try to change the world. I think from a working class white youth who grew up in London, probably at the same time you were growing up, I think what's really important as well is that it's just the acceptance that it's there. You know, the, the fact that we may all shop in the same co-op, but we have different life experiences, you know, and that fact that you, as soon as you're aware of that, it, I'm talking from my perspective, it helps you make the right choices, say the right things and not, you know, not allow people to say things around you because we live together and because we, we have a society that's very integrated. And like I say, we shop in the same co-op, but we have different life experiences. So we've all got a lot to learn, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I think all life matters. Black lives matter. You know, people are doing a lot of things to try and help people from the BAME communities. But, um, you know, ultimately all life matters and we, we should treat others the way we want to be treated ourselves ultimately stopping you right there as that is a direct quote from the bible i just wanted to bring up one last thing um lennox it's obviously your faith has been important to you and i'd like to just discuss with you because it's interesting for me that recovery and rebirth including my own fathers from um alcoholism involves a lot of the time involves faith and i just want you to talk about that and why you think that that's so common that it's such a, a it's such a strong solution to those ailments and to those addictions i was a very damaged person i, I tried you know because i was brought up in a christian family and the way that they were made me hate god yeah and i was so damaged i think it was going to take a miracle for me to turn my life around um, I tried to kill people and um, I was just so far gone. I had an experience where something supernatural came into my situation and you have to have been there to sin it. It was just weird, but it had such an impact on me. I decided to go and hand myself into the police because I just stabbed someone and I decided to accept whatever help is offered to me. And I made a change. And when the help came, I turned it around. But faith, it helped me to forgive. It helped me to let go of my issues and be able to have a new life. So something, my faith helped me to die so I could live. I, I have... Um, put to death the old Lennox with all the racism, with all the abuses. That guy is dead. Now I'm living this new life. Now, I don't even recognize myself. 
mad, you know. And um, I mean, I find myself here's a guy who stopped his car in the middle of a busy motorway because a lorry driver cut me up, and I got out the car and was like, "Come on, you want some?" <laughs> and now. I just let people in. If they want to cut me up, go ahead, go go for it, man. You obviously got somewhere more important to go. One <laughs> guy, <laughs> it's just crazy. I, I, I mean, I mean, my daughter said to me one day, you know, to the old Lennox, what would you do, Dad, if someone hurt me or messed with me? I said, do you read the newspapers? She says, yes. Well, then that's where you'd see it. Now I tell her, look, you've got a You've got to tell the police, you've got to go through things the right way. So this new person, my faith has allowed me to have a life. I would never have been married to someone or had a relationship that lasts this long. I would have never been able to move on. I would have been trapped in my own mind with my abuses. I would have just been someone else. I would have hurt more people. My faith has helped me to put to death that old, all that crap and have something new and it's fantastic so faith is important it's important to me but if you can look at things through a different window and see the situation differently it might help for you to move on yeah I do, Lennox it's, I can't tell you to talk to someone like you who had everything stacked against him and to see and hear him laughing. And, you know, at night when you go to bed now, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm no one to tell you what you should be thinking or not thinking, but with all those demons you had in the past, but now to be thinking of those people that, that have now made a success of their life because of what Refocus is doing, I think that's an incredible thing. I would say to people, it's not about how you start in life. <laughs> it's about how you finish. And I would also say that well, you will get knocked down. You will have problems. You will be disappointed. But it's about how you choose to get up. If you're interested in hearing more about the More Than My Past campaign and viewing dozens more inspirational stories, check out the campaign website, morethanmypast.org.uk. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, subscribe, and look out for future episodes. Great pick. Trolled from Great Big Owl, Tracy Ann Oberman interviews celebrities about their experiences of abuse online. If you want to sit in a room and talk to another fellow sitting in his room and have an argument, that's fine too. Or you can not do that. On trains. I had to get on the train and this woman hit me in the back and said, you're an arsehole. And on a bus. And I think it's weird that you would suggest that a woman is so ugly to get sex when you basically look like a potato. <laughs> All that and more. That's Trolled with Tracy Ann Oberman from Great Big Al. Out now.